0: Hey, everybody. On this episode, we're going to be discussing Bernie, the 2011 film by Richard Linklater. We do recommend watching the movie ahead of the podcast. It just kind of makes the discussion more interesting. So, Mike, what is Bernie about?
1: John, let me take you back in time. Everyone remembers the McConaissance, the stunning career turnaround of Hollywood ditz Matthew McConaughey. A movement of dark acting chops that began with our favorite purveyor of Alright, Alright, Alright taking on the role of the nihilistic Rust Cole in True Detective. Well, how would you respond if I told you that Matthew had actually begun fleshing out Rust sometime earlier? That in fact, just three years previously, McConaughey had done the role of Rust in a largely unseen prequel story. One that finds old Rusty caught up in a spider web of conspiracy, twisted Christian mysticism and the dark underbelly of cult-like worship, thinly veiled by the insidiousness of southern pleasantry. What if I told you, John, that the case that truly broke old Rusty, that truly made him the demon that he became, started not with an unsolved case, but rather with a totally perplexing one? A case so dark, so depraved, so drenched in the brokenness of man that it could only be a true story. John, what if I told you that before there was the Yellow King, there was Bernie?
0: Man, all I can say is I'm now so sad that I will never see a version of True Detective Season (laughs) season 1 with (laughs) Matthew McCudahy playing... Uh, gosh, what's his name again?
1: Rusty, <laughs> Russ Colt?
0: Oh, you mean this movie? No, no. no. What? What's oh, the character Buck. in this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny Buck. Danny Buck. Danny Buck. I want him to be Danny Buck in True Detective so badly now. I'm and upset. you want Jack Black oh. to be a
1: villain in True Detective, don't you?
0: I would love that. That would uh, g- dramatically the improve the show. The path not taken. No, no. Uh, welcome to this film could be your life. <laughs> Welcome once again to This Film to Be Your Life, a film podcast where two friends take the movies that they love way too seriously. My name is Jonathan Devine. I'm joined as always by Mike Overstreet. Hello! And yeah, we're talking about Bernie. This is a 2011 biographical black comedy crime film. Mm. Richard Linklater often has like five or six words in the genre identification. You know what I mean? Yeah. Directed and written by Richard Linklater, uh, also written by Skip Hollinsworth. Uh, the film stars Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, Matthew McConaughey, and it's based on Skip Hollinsworth's uh, January 1998 article, Midnight in the Garden of East Texas, Oof. which was published in Texas great Monthly Magazine. It's
1: a great title. Great
0: title. I, yeah. You know what? I haven't read the article. I just realized I-, I messed up. I'm assuming you didn't read it.
1: Oh, I've read it many times. Sitting nope, by the I know fire in one. Carthage, Texas. I could just stop
0: yep yep uh you know we i really should save this for for uh straight thought you know what i will save it for stray thoughts we'll get there good, at any rate so podcasting. this movie explores the 1996 murder uh by the way wikipedia spoils the movie in the in the second sentence yeah yeah explores the 1996 murder of 81 year old millionaire marjorie nugent in carthage texas by her 39 year old companion bernie teed uh, who was so popular in his community that the prosecutor had to request a change of venue in order to avoid a biased jury? Mm. Um, this is a movie that is was relatively successful when it released uh, in terms of acclaim. It did all right at the box office. It made back its budget barely. By the way, it was a six million dollar movie. It made ten billion dollars yeah, at not the great. box office, and. You know, weirdly just really stayed under the radar. I think it's it's an interesting movie because I, I sort of still don't know why I've seen it. I think that around the time it came out, someone I knew just happened to catch it and wouldn't stop gushing about it. I don't even remember who. And from then on, I, it sort of has sat in the back of my head as this really fantastic, genuinely underrated movie. And in particular underrated on the part of Jack Black's performance. Yeah. Uh, which we'll get into a little bit, but we start by talking about her history with the movie. I kind of just said mine. Um, I've since then I've recommended it as often as I could to people. And like I said, it's just a kind of weirdly unknown movie, but is really, really pretty fantastic. as i I'm sure we're going to discuss uh, Mike, what's your history with the movie? Well, I saw this for the first time on Wednesday, but, um, Pretty
1: short history. That's it. Yeah, no, this is a first for our podcast. Uh, this is the first time I've gone into a movie blind before hopping on the next week to record. And, yeah, this is a – one of those films that you're like, I can't believe this exists. Like, I can't believe, one, I didn't see it. Because actually, I think tonally and in terms of thematic resonance, this is a movie that is – kind of made for Mike Overstreet. I don't know. Like, yeah. and I also love Linklater. So really interesting hole in his, uh, filmography that I, yeah, I, I just never saw it. And, and it's not to say I wasn't aware of it. I've seen this movie come across recommendations. Um, you know, even just about every movie that I've probably ever watched from in Bruges on down that I've ever looked up on Rotten Tomatoes mm. on that little section that says you might also like Bernie's almost always there. Um, and I just never saw it. I don't even remember it coming on theaters. I just have again, it's kinda like either. you.
0: Hopefully. Weirdly, yeah.
1: It's kinda like you. I don't even know how I'm aware of it. I just knew that this movie existed for a long time. Always meant to check it out and never did. So John made me watch it and it's a banger. So excited to dive yeah. into it.
0: I'm interested. You mentioned movies that are similar in the way that this is almost made for you. I have been thinking about Embruge a lot as well, which yeah. you know, in, in some ways is dramatically different than this movie but in tone in my opinion surprisingly comes close and and ends up being about a lot of similar things which i guess we'll get into um anything else broadly about the movie before we just dive start you know we just dive right into it honestly
1: yeah i guess let me touch on that real quick obviously they're both dark comedies and maybe this is the perfect segue to what worked but dark comedies are the hardest genre to do well this is just like, in my opinion, the hardest balance uh, to pull off and to still capture any like any level of humor with a subject matter that actually deserves the title of Dark is just complicated. So I think mm-hmm. In Bruges comes to mind because these are two movies that nail that balance. I mean, that's probably the single best part of the film is that this is a true dark comedy that works, and that's incredibly hard to do and to say about a film.
0: Do you think that part of the the darkness, part of the edge of the movie comes from the the truth of its subject matter as well? Like th- it's hard, I, think... I don't know about you, but when I'm watching this movie, it was so hard to get out of my head, like, when you're finding things funny, some part of you is like, yeah, but this was a real thing that happened. Someone actually died. Like John. You know, like there's this odd element to it.
1: I think all of the humor of this movie comes from the truth of this movie. So we should just get into it, which is what makes it such a complicated You've really film. set us up but there. let's go. <laughs> let's just roll.
0: So we divide our discussion about the movie into a few different sections for the podcast. We're going to start with why this movie works, go into maybe whatever might hold this movie back. We'll have some stray thoughts later and have a dialogue after that about some kind of diving deeper into some aspect of the film but we start with why this movie works and we've already kind of been talking about it a bit. The, the truthiness of this movie is really fascinating to wrap your head around. So the the big elephant in the room that we haven't mentioned yet, um, that I think is so critical to to the success of the movie and is also why I think about this movie a lot, because it's such a strange thing to do and it's done so well are the the presence of actual interviews with the people of carthage that were involved with the story that is to say the the townspeople that were um you know became invested with birdie that you know became a huge part of the story of his life in carthage witnessed everything took part in a lot of these things they are actually interviewed actually. And there's a couple scenes of them acting with like alongside Jack Black and stuff, which is really crazy. Uh, And that's just scattered throughout the movie. I've never seen that before. I don't believe, I don't think I've ever seen that since. And it's the kind of thing that, I just don't know how it works. It seems like it shouldn't, that you would yeah. put that right next to actual narrative filmmaking of, you know, Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, Matthew McConaughey, huge stars. But it works. And it it, it, it like you said, Mike, it adds this depth of both intrigue and, and investment in the story because you get to hear the real words from the real people's mouths. It Dramatically amps up the humor because, my God, some of the things these people say Good is a- are absolutely hysterical. Lord, John, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm just gonna sneak right in here, Mike. One of my favorite, maybe he's a one-off townsperson, but the guy who says
2: she would chew your ass out, drop a hat. I mean, she'd rip you a brand new three-bedroom, two-bath, double-wide asshole, no problem.
0: So that's a real quote from a real yeah. human being that was actually there, which I love that person. He's yeah. my he, it's incredible. Hero. What a hero. And you get, but there's so much of that throughout the movie and you're constantly, it beggars your belief over and over again that, that these are real people. And, and it adds so much again to the comedy, to the tragedy, to the intrigue. It's so clever and I can't believe it works or that's done as well as it's done um, so I feel like we have to start there, and I, I've I've kind of elucidated a lot on this topic. But w- what do you think, Mike? Did you how do you respond to that? Have you seen this before? Am I crazy? This this is like no, a I, very I unique I thing, right?
1: Legitimately, like Nathan for you is the only thing that came to mind. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, that's a
0: great, but but also a great great pick. I think yeah. that is very yeah. similar. That you're constantly asking yourself, is this real? Is this not real? But yeah, still not quite the same. Yeah,
1: hundred percent, and. You know, I'm gonna tackle this in twofold. I want to cause like I think the first half of it is just like I want to heap as much praise as possible onto Richard Linklater. And this is like always true for him. And what I mean by that, or what i what I mean is he has as much as any director, he has a capacity for vision. He always has an incredibly clear vision of what he wants the do film to do. That kind of saturates it all the way down from plot to structure to acting to performance, direction, writing. Basically, the whole thing is cohesive around a vision that he is casting. Now, that is not to say that all of his movies work. He has any number of movies that I'm just like not interested in or that don't land mm-hmm. for me. But what is always true for him is that they have a very cohesive center they have a very clear you can tell that as a director he knows how to cast vision and how to rally basically every part of the movie around bringing that vision into a coherent whole and yeah that's I think one of his greatest skills you watch boyhood you watch any of the before midnight after sunrise all these things like all those movies kind of fit into what I'm talking about but the how well this movie does at being a quasi documentary dark comedy true crime story is just like, I think the single greatest testament of his career to that attribute of him as a director. This movie, like you were just saying, I've never seen anything like it, but the vision of what this movie is trying to do and to be and the tone it's trying to set and the way it's trying to both draw you into a reality but also make you question that reality, like all of that is the, in my opinion, the the effect of painstaking vision casting on his end. Like you can tell he Hmm. has thought through what he wants this to be all the way down, and every single thing that this movie does serves that vision at the core. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I always think about that in the sense of like, you almost think that something's wrong with the film. I'm just going to say that as someone who just watched <laughs> it this week. Right. You know, true crime, uh, the true crime shtick, as, as a person who has grown up in the 21st century. All of these stories start with some sort of opening sequence of people praising the killer, right? So when you get a line at the beginning of this movie, that's like, if people made a list of folks who would have made it into heaven, Bernie would be at the top of the list. You're like, Oh, I see what it's doing. It's setting I up know this where this cr- is going. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually later in this doc, it's going to have the turn. He's going to kill people. and People are going to change their tune and it's going to be very different tonally. And then as this movie goes on, well, after he's murdered this poor woman, it is so disorienting that they never stop adoring him. Like it right. just, it just keeps going. And the I think at first I'm like, there's something wrong. Like you've made a miscalculation, but it's not because these are real people. So at some point, suddenly you get back around to being like, this is a work of genius. The vision of this movie yeah. is genius. Like you have learned me into your trap, Mr. Linklater, which is to capture reality in a way that exposes the absurdity of like how we engage in life together yeah, amidst violence and all these other broken parts of our humanity, um, and the complication yeah. and confusion that comes out of that. So, anyway, does that make sense? That's the first thing I want to it, shout. It out totally
0: to makes sense, and I think this is a related point, but just to kind of throw it out there real quick. I think it's fascinating that for the for the scale of the vision, as as you call it, it's so uh, coherent. Yeah. Right. It, it it doesn't feel usually if someone's and actually that would be my my biggest. I, I really like Boyhood. But this would be my biggest point about it is that I think it's you almost have to know how crazy the vision of the movie is going into it because you have to forgive some of the little yeah, difficulties sure. with, with the storytelling. This movie, in my opinion, doesn't really have any dramatic missteps. It doesn't feel like this crazy vision that's never been done before, even though it is. It feels kind of, you know, it, it's just successful. And I think that's pretty stunning if you think about it. I agree, but I also think that's the beauty of the film is that those things feel...
1: It feels like big missteps, at least for me, about halfway through the film. Like, there's a part of me that's just like, this feels tonally wrong. And then you get to a... Like, again, you come back around to be like, oh, actually, that's the point. This is totally wrong, and that's reality. (laughs) And that's how jacked up, like, both this town is and the situation and the tragedy of it but also us as human beings and i think that's like what's what blows my mind about this film is that he has thought through like the discomforting nature of even how he is going to set up this arc right um there isn't one like you keep expecting it to have some sort of change in emotion towards this figure bernie and he knows that about halfway through you're like this guy's really like he needs to bring in this other aspect where people turn on him. And then you realize the whole point is that they never do. And that's
0: like, they they won't
1: literally the point of the movie. And I think that's brilliant. Anyway, I'm gushing, but I think it's really effective. It's startlingly effective. Um, I think what's also cool about this movie. This is the second component I was referencing is kind of what you said, which is there's all that kind of existential art and creation aspects of what he's doing here to bring this very odd movie into reality. But then there's, like, this other really interesting grounding mechanism in the film, which is that this small southern town, which is real and they brings real people from, feels just incredibly lived in. And, mm. yeah, a lot of the comedy comes from the fact that Linklater just lets these people talk and ends up, they end up, like, making the joke of themselves. And there's something a little mean-spirited about that, but whatever. So a lot of the comedy comes from making fun of, like, this small southern town setting. But at the same time, as someone who lives in the south, this movie feels incredibly real. And obviously that's partly because it is, Um, but all the way through, like both the values of it and how easily those can be manipulated, you know, Bernie's ability to play on grief in absurd ways, like selling doves for extra money or (laughs) putting up extra crosses, like how they love him for trivial, trivial niceties, but that's eventually going to lead them to excuse something pretty horrifying. I love the way this movie captures the southern small gossip and resentments that allow nice, nice, quote yeah. unquote, folks to overlook abuse, um, especially if they don't like the people that are being victimized. I mean, the way that interviews in this movie talk about the victims who are crying on the stand because their family member is murdered is so mm. twisted. They straight resent these people and they just like don't even hear themselves like – they can't even hear the words that are coming out of their own mouths. You, ha- you like, get that impression.
0: And Man, that's something Mike that's... is really starting the anti-Bernie propaganda very early. Uh, I'm not, this
1: is going to be a fight. We're going to have a, <laughs> a great conversation about Bernie the character. Believe me. I'm <laughs> just talking about this all feels incredibly real to me. This is stuff that yeah. I experience living in the South all the time. And obviously it's an absurd example of it. But this is something that you come across in, like, very normal resentments and then just, like, the shit behavior that comes out of it towards people and the way that people overlook various things because they just don't like the person who received that behavior. This is all being, like, wrapped up in Southern charm and, like, hospitality. This is all very real to me. And I think he nails it. I think he captures that perfectly. And dude, don't even get me started on the church service essentially praising Bernie, ignoring the fact that one of their congregants has been murdered <laughs> by him. I, I don't even get me started. That. that is so true to form. Anyway, I talked a lot. I John, please take over.
0: Well, and I, I guess I'll just build on that briefly that I also wrote down. It perfectly encapsulates the feeling of the small town in the American Bible Belt. And in my, in my personal opinion, both... The, the negatives, but also some of the positives of that. I think there is a certain homeliness, there's a certain hospitality, but there's an underside to all of it as well. I, I also just want to mention real quick, I, it's funny, the question about the, the mean-spiritedness of some of these people sort of uh, voluntarily falling on a sword without realizing it. I, I do think it is noteworthy that some of the interviews definitely are that, In my opinion, quite a few of them are actually very self-aware, though. And those are the ones that I personally enjoy the most. I really like – it's very early on, but one of the second or third interviews that they have, it actually fast cuts from the – I think she's like the deputy mayor or something like that talking about why Carthage is so great. And it hard cuts to an old woman from town saying, oh, hell, most of the people who live in Carthage are here because they were bored here. (laughs) <laughs> and so I just like the I like the abrupt and yeah, the, but that's also yeah. true, as we both know, to this environment where it's like some people can create a whole complex about and all these narratives about where they are and how great it is and whatever. And that is an aspect of I think the southern hospitality Bible belt town. But often you will also find people who are just outrageously open about the truth possibly to a fault that yeah. actually comes up in this movie a lot too. Um And so I, I, I appreciate kind of both sides of the coin and that we see both versions of those townspeople coming up over and over again. Um,
2: definitely, definitely.
0: Did we, we haven't talked about this is, I, I'm not exactly sure if this order makes sense, but I, I just want to talk about him because you know we haven't yet and it's you know in my opinion one of the biggest successes of the movie yeah this movie is kind of should be like the sizzle reel for jack black is a good actor right and i'm not entirely sure if that's a point that's up for that that people would even bother debating i feel like most people everyone kind of likes jack black but it's very tempting to think of him as only the jack black persona yeah right? the yeah the the wild eyes singing crazy uh you know stoner rocker guy actually maybe not even stoner but i don't know like like you know the jack black persona the the skull of rock which of course is the movie he made with link later before this but that is kind of our our collective idea of that's jack black and that's what he does in movies so it's so surprising for this movie to exist and again for not that many people to know about it because it's just a great performance. It's it does incorporate a lot of things or sorry, uh, to go back a second. Part of what makes it great is that he fully inhabits a different character while still doing a lot of things that only Jack Black could do, right? Yeah. I think like this is a small detail, but the singing in the movie, Bernie T the character is supposed to be this very musical person. He, he literally is in and directs several musicals that come up in the movie. He leads the church choir. Uh, There's this great scene where he's at a funeral and in the moment of, of confusion about what exactly is about to happen, he just sort of spontaneously gets into amazing grace. He does all of that in a very Jack Blackie way because Jack Black, of course, is very musical, but it still feels true to the character it feels within the boundaries of the character you're you're being presented and i don't know i'm tempted to call it like a transformation it's just so effectively rendered this particular and very odd very unusual uh, character person right you've never really seen anyone quite like this it's so surprising that it exists um and yeah, it just it really elevates what I thought Jack Black was even capable of. I just never even knew this was in his his playbook. What do you have Mike on 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 our boy in this movie? Where are you on Jack Black by the way?
1: Oh, just, I love Jack. I, mean, I like Jack Black. General yeah. Pro, yeah. I think he, I think he,
0: anyone our age has to, right? Yeah. Because we came of age somewhere around school of rock. Uh we we came of age somewhere around I'm trying to think there's at least one other big one. Oh, well, for my school, Nacho Libre was also way up there. There's just a lot of silly kids movies that are so endearing for him and his personality.
1: Yeah, and then obviously like Tenacious D and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I I love Jack Black, and and it, it is funny because it's like I think before this, you know, my impression of his foray into serious acting is like King Kong, which you know he does some stuff in that. That's okay. But for the
0: most part, well, you ca- I, I like King Kong for what's worth.
1: But. Yeah, but you want to come away being like this guy can do transformational acting, right? You can't you're not gonna yeah. come away thinking, oh, this is dang if only he had another shot at uh, being a starring role in a more dramatic kind of film. And yeah, this movie is is, I would say, as someone who just saw this last week, has definitely left me thinking about him as an actor a lot. Um, I think first of all, what an accent. Absolutely nails oh, it. Yeah. All the way through the film. Like you're just like he doesn't lose it. It anyway, it,
0: it's in his singing, it's in it's it's totally incorporated into the character, yeah.
1: Yeah, so that, that's pretty great, but I think beyond that, you know, you're so used to like Jack Black mannerisms are kind of almost Jim Carrey-esque at times, his physical acting. The way he goes mm-hmm. into, like, the, Brah! you know, that kind of, like, madman yeah. kind of a thing. The
0: eyebrow rolling and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah,
1: and this is very similar, I feel like, to a Eternal Sunshine in terms of, like, you see some of that body control. You see some of that gifted physical acting, and it's not used in at any single point does it devolve into, like, kind of his own cliche of himself or into his own tropes. He instead uses it for, like, this really... I think what, and this struck me probably the most about the performance, this really perfect balance of a a stiffness and then also, like, his natural charisma. And what I mean yeah. by that is you kind of have, he has, like, this little trot, right? And he's this unbelievable face actor that is often used for extreme facial kind of insanity. But in this, it, it's something that instead is very, 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 very much capturing this person who is just hyper compartmentalized like in his life and is is so deeply in control of like on a positive sense like the way that he treats people with kindness in a negative sense uh maybe controlling some derangement that takes place when he's put into unhealthy situations but all to say like there's like this walk that he has where he's very stiff back kind of stomach poking out and and it just gives him this vibe I don't know. It just gives him this – He it feels so embodied as a character uh, that, for me at least, left me constantly like a little suspect, especially knowing mm. where this character's going to go, where I'm kind of like there's something off about this person, which I don't even think is true. I think that's just I know that this leads to a murder, so I was looking for it. But I think as I sit with it long term, you're just like this is just a very unique person that jack black has brought into life and what i'm noticing is actually just like these small character quirks um, that really are hard to encapsulate as an actor Um, i also love that you can basically read his tone in any given scene as being either utterly authentic or entirely condescending and again we're going to talk about later the complexity of this character i think but I think it's really, really cool that Jack Black is able to capture that in a way that never actually gives me an answer on which it is. You know what I mean? That's almost like a different point entirely. Mm. But that's a testament to his acting, that there's like a mystery to this character um, that Jack Black is able to convey in every little twitch and saying and, and, and tone that he does.
0: Yeah. I also, I totally agree. And I, I want to circle back to, you mentioned briefly the charisma that comes through. And I think that's really key because you have to accept as the audience member why this town falls so in love with this a person. A thousand right?
1: percent, yes.
0: Yeah, you, you, it's in because it, it's so. It, I wouldn't even say it's critical to the story. It is the story. The story is about how after a heinous crime, a town is so united behind someone that they. It's. Imp- it, theoretically they couldn't even get a conviction for an obvious you know for an obvious murder um mike and i had already mentioned before we started recording what are the greatest moments of the movie uh, and again a very very dark comedy moment is watching the townsfolk after he murders the the, the elderly widow who everyone hated go through all of these incredible gymnastics to try to you know, explain why Bernie is okay. Why we still like Bernie, why he can't have done it. Or if he did do it, it wasn't as bad as people say, or, or all these different things that are, is just astounding. But the key thing is it's astounding, but you, you still believe it. And part of believing it is, is also in a sense being spellbound in a similar way or, or at least understanding why they're so spellbound by this incredibly generous, incredibly nice uh, almost caricaturely over-the-top nice person that they've been living with for all this time. Yep. Yeah, um, I've said a couple. What What do you have, Mike? What else do you have? I should say for for why this movie works.
1: Well, I guess we can stick with the actors. You know, I, I can't really shout out the townspeople because they're just they're just doing their thing, um, and God bless them for it. But I do want to shout out the man that I. <laughs> Called a ditz in the opening monologue. That was obviously for comedic effect. Um, I don't think that about him, but Matthew McConaughey as Danny Buck is <laughs> I just I just so I just love him. Um uh, I love Matthew McConaughey pretty much in any movie where he's playing a southern gentleman, especially when he's doing so by just being the perfect idiot who doesn't think he's an idiot. Like he captures that better than maybe any living actor.
3: Uh when he has the quote. And one of the main things, and why I have this job, and why I feel like I'm good at it is, you see, I'm naturally suspicious. Yeah, sometimes I'll find myself waking up in the middle of the night. I'll be, I'll be staring off out through the backyard into the woods, and, I, and, I, and I'll be thinking about all the crime and mayhem happening out there. And that, that's, that's when I start putting it together in my mind. I stalk the criminal. I wait, I watch, and I listen when the time's just right. That's when I pounce. Ain't nothing I enjoy more than the sight of a criminal just just, just wriggling on the end of my hook. Hey, you know, and, and folks like to see the DA at work. But Noah County ain't gonna hire a DA who doesn't know that this is a full-time job all the time. <laughs> it's, just it's
0: incredible. So funny. It's incredible.
1: And he delivers it with such like unearned like arrogance and like confidence and that is something that he as an actor does so well someone who is just so deeply assured of themselves for no logical reason because the person is a objective moron and uh I love him as Danny Buck in this movie and I think he does a stellar job
0: man when was so this really does precede Dallas Buyers Club true yep. detective season 1. This really should have been, you know, for, for as much as it was a bit, I have to say, y- your opening monologue was kind of right, Mike. This yeah, sort man. of, this should have been the arrival on the scene of McConaughey, but we just no one was paying attention. We didn't understand we it until it. later. Didn't know what we had, so it was gone. Uh, I should confess at this point, Matthew McConaughey actually comes up for me a little later on in another sure. segment of this podcast. So I'll I'll maybe save some of my thoughts. I think broadly I agree, but there's things about the performance that I'm curious about, that that I have questions about, I should say. Uh, Certainly he's very fun to watch. I could agree with that and has a lot of extremely funny moments. This character is not fun, but I do want to shout out Shirley MacLaine for, I think what she does best in this movie is make the character... Very consistent throughout. Yep. Because our relationship to that character, I I don't know if you agree, but I think changes over the course of the movie. Um yep. partially because because her relationship with Bernie changes several times. And it's actually pretty remarkable. I only really noticed this on the rewatch, but it's remarkable how you can tell that her performance is very cognizant of that. And, and what I mean yeah. is that. She's making sure to do things in every bit of the movie that keeps the character consistent with itself. So when, when we're still kind of unsure about her, when she's, you know, at the beginning she's mean, but you know, maybe there's something beneath that. She's giving a little bit of credence to both sides of the character. Then we sort of warm up to her, but she still has this edge to her. Then she becomes borderline, you know, abusive. Yeah. And and but even within that, you can still see this, and then she becomes a victim, and now the memory of her is hanging over the movie. And again, she's done so much to set up this kind of unclarity, in my opinion, about the character. and yes. I think that's actually pretty difficult. And a lot of that's the writing, but I think she has a great job. And it's not it's it's probably a pretty thankless role too, because she's not in too much of the movie. And you, I mean, she's in a lot, but she's gone for the entire last act. And in a sense, I think it's even maybe easy to forget her, but uh, I think she does a great job as one of the three main leads, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's obviously the movie's designed for you to forget her. You're supposed to forget her humanity because that's what the town people go through. And anyway, that's a whole other tangent. I think in terms of her performance, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. There's just some small touches that she carries throughout the film, like the way she flinches literally any time anyone touches her ever. Yeah kind of just never changes and I think for me she kind of becomes the almost like the moral Rorschach test obviously of the town but also of the viewer you know cause like if you look at her from one lens she is just this encapsulation of like the sad lonely vulnerable old person that a a con man could obviously like abuse and then ultimately murder or If you look at her from the other angle, she is the abusive, rich, entitled control freak who could drive a largely fragile person into insanity. And Mm. what I love about it is that she is that at every second she is on the screen. Like she is one of those things. And she is not telling you what she is. She is just her. And then everyone else is basically responding to her or what has been done to her. And that is revealing something about them. And I think that she's like the constant. Like, I think I'm probably just echoing what you said in a different way. But she
0: is the constant of the film. And I think that
1: is a really fascinating choice. And I think she does a very good job with it.
0: It's also why you said to me before we were recording, you or maybe you said this in the episode. I honestly don't remember. But you said you're fascinated by the idea of how these people, the townspeople, would respond to the movie if they like seeing yeah. it. Yeah, And I think her character is why I'm so fascinated. I almost wonder what they think about her portrayal because it is, like you said, kind of a Rorschach test. It's, I think it's, it's actually very easy to watch the movie and walk away almost siding with the townspeople in terms of like, you know, maybe this is just, maybe that works out for the best. Like, I, I get it, right? Like, in fact, also, I don't know if you realize, Mike, because again, this is much clearer on the rewatch. But a lot of what they say at the beginning of the movie is pretty shocking, given the fact that she gets murdered. Like, like one of the first things you hear about the character is a townsperson saying, There's people in town that would have shot her for five dollars. And I know that's a phrase, that's just a saying, but still pretty odd. What do you think yeah. about yeah. that's where this movie's going. That's where the real life went. Yeah. Um but then part of you thinks, but you know, I think there's. it's also funny because I would say the townspeople are also a Rorschach test. I guess the whole movie is. Just because one response to that is to say, oh, my God. Like, how could these people be responding that way? Uh, You know, what's wrong with the people? But then the other response is, but what does that say about the person? Yeah. What does that say about who she was as a human being? That real people who were in her community after her murder are willing to say, you know... <laughs> I'm not so broken up about that. And it's, into I, I think that is camera. a sneaky. <laughs> yeah. Into a camera. I think that's a sneaky, fascinating part of the movie, which actually we'll probably dive into a little bit later as well. But yeah, but yeah, all that to say, I think the character is great. And I think she portrays the character very, very well. Um, Honestly, all the only thing I have left to say is, and we've already been saying this a lot but the movie is seriously hilarious. It's yeah. just a very funny movie. I don't necessarily know if we want to get to the thing of breaking down individual bits or not. Um, but suffice it to say, so much of the townsperson interviews, so many little almost vignettes. Vignettes. Um, I really enjoy when Bernie, which actually is pretty dark because it's, it's right before the murder, but... I really enjoy when they're eating oh, uh, lunch God. at the Mexican restaurant, and he's trying to get her to stop chewing. And he tells her it's refried beans. You don't. It's it's you don't need to chew it this many times. And she just, with the most deadpan expression, just keeps on chewing. Oh my, that's Lord. incredible.
1: Yep, the efficiency and, of her chewing. It's inefficient.
0: It <laughs> <laughs> also, is is just like weirdly. It's a pet. It's it's a pet peeve that I, I just relate to. I'm just like God. I'm getting yeah. frustrated watching this as well. I understand. Um, so I I mean, there's just a lot of funny things throughout the movie. I guess my only other shout out. There's one guy. There's one townsperson they interview several times, who is is pretty incredible, and he has this. I, I'm gonna cut this in, Mike. He has this breakdown of the state of Texas. Yeah. That oh, is God. is kind of just a work of art
2: carthage is in east texas and that's totally different from the rest of texas which could be five different states actually you got your west texas out there with a bunch of flat ranches up north you got some dallas snobs with their mercedes and then you got the houston the carcinogenic coast is what i call it all the way up to louisiana then down south, San Antonio, uh, that's where the Tex meets the Mex, like the food. And then in central Texas, you got the People's Republic of Austin, with a bunch of hairy-legged women and liberal fruit cakes. Of course, I left out the panhandle, and a lot of people do. But Carthage, this is where the south begins. This its life behind the Pine Curtain.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. It's absolutely hilarious. my favorite part about it is uh, when he just says, Of course, I forgot about the panhandle, and most people do pause. But the thing about Carthage, he just moves on. He yeah. says, After <laughs> yeah. admitting that no one thinks about the panhandle, doesn't say anything about well, it. Well, that's and that,
2: <laughs> it's just
0: that's that. Uh, so yeah, that guy, I, I, he has several great one liners, he has some pretty. You know, I will say he's got some tough thoughts on the people in the town. Yeah, a little uh, tough. That a little birdie tough hang. gets What's up? It's a tough hang. <laughs> it's a tough hang. It's a little bit it's weird cuz it feels like classism, but I'm also like it's certainly some kind of elitism is on display, and it's hard to pinpoint exactly. Um so, but incredible and and just a lot of a lot of funny things from the town's people going around here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I know you said you weren't sure about going through scenes, but I I don't care what you say, John. This is my podcast now. I'm going to run through some scenes uh, because this movie is is freaking hilarious. I mean, there's two from McConaughey that are brilliant. When he does Danny Buck's Wheel of Misfortune for beating up drug dealers (laughs) is just like, what? Um, Which begs
0: the... Can can we just point out, and that that is something that a small town DA would do. I didn't look up if that's real or not, but... Can I just point out that it doesn't really make sense to think that, because if you had enough to put away all these people, you would just go after them, right? Yeah. Like, no, am I he's, crazy? I
1: was just like, wait. Again, what? He, he's a moron. Like, that's the point. This yeah. guy thinks he's smart, and he's, I mean, which is funny because, like, when he catches the deadbeat dads with the hands on the truck competition, it is pretty clever. It's also just stupid as hell. Like, he yeah. is able to catch these people because he's one of these people. He, anyway. Um, anyway just brilliant both of those scenes are deeply funny to me Uh, we already talked about this line off mic and it has some language that I don't love but it has some theology to it that I think may be worth unpacking John so if you could
3: run that real quick our lord and savior wore sandals and he never married and he had 12 disciples and I don't think any of them ever married and the Apostle Paul, he was a lifelong bachelor. And you never heard anybody in the New Testament say that there was a bunch of queers.
1: <sighs> no. So that scene, obviously, don't condone. Mike, wait,
0: Mike, Mike, Mike give me the, the theological breakdown of this assessment yeah. of Jesus yeah. and the disciples.
1: You know, I guess she. on one hand she has a point. Um, no one, okay. no one, in, no one in the New Testament ever said that. So that's fair. It's, it's um, yeah. on the other hand, this is the exact kind of nonsense that I have heard from Southern ladies, like spouting anti-gay nonsense, um, in my actual life living in the South. So like, yeah. this is one of those things where like, this is a, a stream of conscious rant that I'm pretty sure I've heard before. And to actually capture someone on camera saying saying this yeah. as if as if they are actually making a good point is delightful. I just felt seen, John. That's it. That's what that's, I was on about it, it.
0: It is part of the dark, kind of in line with what you're saying. It's part of the dark, dark comedy element of it because it's so funny. And then I don't know if this is true of you, but and then I kind of remember like, oh, this is real. And like I yeah. know people who would say this, and it's exactly. Like, oh. It's there's that's the edge to it. Right. Um, I'm just curious as long as we're on the topic. What were your thoughts on the on uh, the Bible never says he made liquor store wine. Mike, it it just says wine. Dude, again, this is stuff. He could have made whatever wine he wanted. This is stuff I heard in youth group, dude. I was going to say, I remember someone in a a camp that I was at um, elucidating very, very like, like fully convinced that uh, you know Bible never says he made alcoholic wine Mike right? there there you go that's it
1: that's it yeah, yeah that's there you go and it it's just like it goes back to how could this you movie explain is-
0: to anyone listening why that is what is the point that's being missed what, what, what's what's wrong with such a such a proclamation as that?
1: I I mean, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the ancient world and like the lack of clean drinking water for one in which it's like for one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, drinking fermented uh, liquids was like one of the best ways for you to like get any level of hydration and not die. So it's like there is a level of like wine is is deeply a part of of what it means to be a human being in this time of like human society. In fact, like most of these cultures only came into socialized living because of like grain and thus for fermentation process like production. Um, There's just like a whole lot of stuff about agriculture and basically how that kind of comes into being for the purpose of producing wine and alcoholic beverages. Anyway, um, that's beside the point. I think the more interesting point is that this is just like one of those things in which we have gotten to a point as a or not we but christian culture christian civilization of disliking anything that involves like inebriation and thus we need to find a way to read it back into the culture of the bible and that's just a deep and profound like error because if you know anything about first century life especially first century judaic life you know that wine And the blessing of wine and blessing of the vine is, like, a deep, deeply rooted part of the culture and is not in any way meant to be something that you abstain from. Now, there is something very true to form about, like, uh, the Bible, and Paul in particular does come in talking about, like, the impact of inebriation onto others. And that's kind of where people just, like, in a desire for black and white thinking, miss the point where he's like, hey, it's not that wine is in and of itself bad. But he has a whole list of things of like if you get drunk online and then proceed to do X, Y, or Z, which are a lot easier to justify when you're drunk, suddenly herein lies the problem, right? And it's almost always how it impacts the people around you. And that's a more nuanced understanding of concepts like sin and broken relationship and what is actually morally wrong or not wrong, thinking about it in terms of communal harm that we just don't want to deal with because it's complicated. So anyway, I'm off my soapbox. This is a great line. It was. But it, I will it say is, it was
0: a longer answer than I expected, but but it's a fair point. It's, yeah. and it, it I, I think it misses the point. Is is just the broader hundred percent. It's just and it. And it's, it's just like, like what are I, we talking about here? Right? I
1: don't like people to drink, so I'm gonna make up something nonsensical, and that's really what I'm talking about. It even going back to when we say that this is a lived-in southern town that they're depicting. This is just stuff that I'm used to like hearing all the time. I don't right. like this, so I'm gonna jump through an insane mental gymnastics to make it God's law to all of humanity that God doesn't like it either, and thus you shouldn't yeah. do it. And it's great. what are your
0: thoughts as long as long as we're on the topic, what are your thoughts on this is when I'm most related to the character of Marjorie. Uh when the her her visible displeasure when the pastor pokes his head in on the ladies' Bible study. It to remind them yeah. that they have a fundraising coming up for a new building. I think my the best detail is how she clutches her purse slightly yeah. closer to her. As though yep. he's going to physically take the money from her. Which reveals something about her character. But also reveals quite a lot about the pastor in the community.
1: Yeah, Yep. yep. 100%. And, and this movie has a lot to say about Christianity. And the role of, quite frankly, the pastorate. And, and not encouraging people to have any level of nuanced thought about Bernie, because that's like really what's deeply problematic with the portrayal of Church. And what's deeply funny about the portrayal of Church in this movie is that what it yeah. does not want to do is to encourage these people to accept Bernie as a deeply broken and quite frankly someone who has done a horrifying thing. Um, it, it doesn't want them to have to wrestle with the nuance of you love this person, and they were also capable of of horror. And basically the grayness that that says about morality and the people that we love and how we need to think about the human condition, the church should be the place to encourage that kind of thought and wrestling. And the church is like the last place that wants to do that in this movie. And, yeah. and that's why I, it again, often is this... a
0: very, again, a very black comedy moment that I really enjoy is when, is when uh, Danny Buck is in the congregation as the pastor is, is delivering. This, oh my this sermon. God very explicitly excusing birdie and it cuts to Danny Buck, Matthew McConaughey looking around the room with that, that expression of like, Oh my God, they're all in on this. And like slowly realizing, like I'm the straight man here. I'm the not crazy person in the room. Yeah. that It's again, very dark, but very funny actually.
1: It is. It is. And, And real quick, I got two more scenes to shout out before we move on to our next point. Um, get a shout out this line, John. I know you love it. Townsperson says with a straight face, "It's not as bad as people are saying." He only <laughs> shot her four times, not five.
0: It's beautiful, <laughs> wonderful. It it, it, it it summarizes everything that we're, that is everything about the town's reaction to Bernie.
1: Yeah, and then outside of Matthew McConaughey, this movie doesn't have a ton of bits like actual straight bits. A lot of it is that kind of like you're laughing at a real situation or a real comment. One scene that is a straight bit, though, is when the FBI is repossessing all the things he bought for the town and it cuts to them stealing the girl's playground set from her yard.
0: (laughs) The framing of the shot is so great. The family is standing in the doorway just outside, just watching the, the federal agency like you know board up this, this yep. incredible playground
1: well and i love that they they don't take it apart they literally pick it up as
0: a unit and like yeah.
1: carry it out this giant place for it. oh it's so good
0: but again in in you know i don't know if we've mentioned it yet but one of my favorite lines in the movie is right at the beginning uh oh we haven't mentioned by the way great introduction great first scene bernie yeah. Is the is speaking to a class and one in a university? I believe that he is his alma mater, and giving them a little primer on, um, cr- dressing a corpse for a funeral viewing, and first of all, amazing introduction to Jack Black in the movie, and almost a, almost like a what am I thinking of? Almost like a Patton moment of just like, if you have a great performance, just freaking nail that thing right yeah. to the front of the movie yep. in the first two seconds. Have it
1: be the first and last thing you see. Yep.
0: Yeah. And then also, though, it it contains this little quick line where he's talking about um, whether or not the teeth might accidentally show if the lips get pulled up. And he says, we don't want grief accidentally turning into comedy. And I think the movie, there's a meta side of that comment where the movie is constantly flirting with the line between grief and comedy, because even that scene you just mentioned, Mike, of uh the the fbi repossessing that closing up the boots store that is unbelievable to think would have been open but i don't know if you remember right in the middle of the montage they also repossess a house that he bought for the groundskeeper which is pretty gutting uh you know it's just like that that's horrible that sucks this is awful and so i think the movie is is playing with that line all the time too of wait is this funny or is this sad it's kind of both yeah um so, yeah, I think it's it's a very effective that way, if nothing else. Uh, I actually don't have – I feel like that's pretty much everything I have for why the movie works. Do you, did you have any other points, Mike?
1: Yeah, I got one more. And and I actually think this is – we flirted with this, so I don't know if we're going to stand on it for a long time. But I think what is the most effective choice that the movie makes in terms of characterization is – and this is really a testament to Linklater – And that is there's a complete lack of care of clarity concerning whether or not Bernie is like good or evil. Um, I actually think it's subtle, but we never at any point in this film get an invitation into Bernie's internal world. Like literally at no point are we invited into his mind. I think the closest you get is his reaction to kind of realizing he's killed her, Marjorie. Mm. And you kind of get that reaction from him when no one's looking. And that's like the only moment where you're like, oh, this guy isn't a stone cold killer, right? That there was at least some sort of horror on his face. Because again, it's the only scene in which we get an insight into whether Jack Black thinks that this was done out of just like absolute malice and like cold bloodedness.
0: And, and the portrayal of the murders is slight, is kind of the cl- the most introspective to Bernie that we get, hundred percent. But outside
1: yeah. of that, it, it he's a blank slate, and it it's truly uninterested in making that clear. I mean, you never get. I think, you know, you think of any number of movies from the '90s where you're going to get like a Hannibal Lecter scene, where at least at some point under interrogation or in a quiet moment with someone else, the person goes like like full blown. I murdered her and I would do it all over again and it was fun to watch her die or whatever that
0: or even the bitch. opposite yeah. even the we don't get the little like him crying in his jail cell while he thinks about Mark. we, we literally never really never get inside get at all yeah
1: any of it which leaves you kind of thinking like he could be a nice guy who's gifted at making a living or he's a huckster who cons people out of money while they're grieving he could mm. genuinely like this woman and he just got wrapped up in a toxic codependent brutal abusive relationship that broke him or he's a black widow who set out to cheat this woman of her fortune before he got sick of it taking so long for her to die like every single choice he makes has that kind of or sentence in it and the entire movie is hyper aware that you as the audience of this really want an answer to that you really want something that clarifies and tells you how you're supposed to feel about bernie and then the movie just ends without it ever giving it to you and yeah. that's i think a brilliant choice because ultimately what it does and we've, we've said this already it makes the film into a mirror it makes it into something that's looking at you it's pointed at the town people it you know it's pointed at how we react to this figure who we're never actually going to know with 100% why they did what they did. All we're going to know is he's likable and he did something horrible. And I think that's compelling, compelling movie making. Um, and a choice that I think a lot of maybe more unconfident filmmakers wouldn't have been willing to kind of like leave as a taste on someone's mouth. And I'm going to be honest, John, I think it's probably one of the reasons that this movie isn't more successful in terms of like pop culture in a larger audience. I think sure. the ambiguity of this movie, I think the lack of arc of Bernie in this movie, I think all that stuff in which we never actually get to know if we're supposed to be rooting for or to test the main character makes this movie way better, but also makes it kind of more unaccessible to probably a broader audience.
0: If it if had made him a clear-cut hero or villain, it's easier to sell. Yep. It's, it's easier to yeah but as it stands it's it's yeah it's it's and it even makes a, a weird recommendation like I've recommended it to a lot of people but I only ever really say you just have to watch it it's just kind of a weird movie it's hard to really explain what's intriguing about it until you see it and experience it so I, I totally agree yeah um, well and it goes
1: back I think the line of the movie is he just doesn't sound like any kind of monster that I've heard of and I think that's that's the summary of the film in a lot of ways of how are you going to wrestle with that? Because ultimately if there's this person who has done a monstrous thing, you, if you want to hold on to any shred of black and white dualism have to determine, well, he just was a monster fully, completely no questions asked or he isn't. And ultimately I have to find a way to justify his behavior because he's not monstrous at all.
0: Yep. I I totally agree with all of that. Um, you know, we've got a lot of praise, but let's go ahead and say what holds this movie back. And I don't know. It's a very effective movie. And actually, I only have one thing on my list. Uh, you know what? I have two things. But one of yeah. them is very petty. The petty one is the poster's really bad. And yeah. makes me wonder genuinely if this affected the sales of the movie. It just looks very, like, Photoshopped in a bad way. It's It's... It's just Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine and Matthew McConaughey standing there. They they were clearly not shot in the same room. Like it's just poorly put together. I don't know. It's a, again, it's petty,
1: and no, I only I thought think, of it I a few critical. minutes
0: before recording. But uh, genuinely holds the movie back. I think.
1: I think, and it, it's a, another super interesting contrast point with Bruges. I think the Bruges poster kind of looks like an action film the first time you see it, and like oh, yeah, almost like like uh, smoking aces. It's like kind of the vibe. Right. And I think this is comes from people don't know what to do with dark comedies and thus they don't know how to market them. And that usually yeah. leads to really poor marketing campaigns. So
0: yeah. I'm do you know me. the, do you know who transcends this? And I think it's because of the level of creative control that they always um, exhibit. Did you say James, but James I Cameron. The so Coen's- help me God okay
1: thank you what? <laughs> so if you say james cameron so help me god
0: <laughs> james cameron's dark comedies mike no no no. I, I was gonna say uh the coen brothers i think of as as nailing yeah. this pretty well you think about yep. uh this is a weird one to pull but a serious man i think like like the poster of him just standing on the house looking down like i, I don't know why i think they aesthetically understand Maybe not selling dark comedy, but, but at least presenting it well, right? Presenting yep. it honestly in, in a way that's intriguing. I agree. Um, My only other what holds this movie back, ironically, do it, is John. you put him in what? what's Don't up? Don't do it. Don't do it. Well, I, I just have, let's just say I have questions about Matthew McConaughey in this movie. I'm not, I, I actually had pretty unequivocally put him in in what holds this movie back, and then you made me if not quite rethink it, at least back off because I'm a, I'm not confrontational. Here's my point, okay? Here's my argument against. I think that unlike Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine, he is he is demonstrably Matthew McConaughey, and in that sense, kind of pulls me out of the movie a little bit, right? I think especially his introduction, I always find is is very jarring to me when I watch the movie, because up to now we've had the townspeople who are real. We've had Shirley MacLaine, who's portraying a character that is complex and hard to pin down. We've had Jack Black, who's who's giving a magnificent performance. And there's, again, there's some certain ambiguity there, but then out of nowhere, we get Matthew McConaughey playing kind of a cartoon character. And What I think is fascinating is that over the course of the movie, the character, it becomes more complex because particularly the way that he bounces between garish caricature and straight man, which I already kind of referenced that he has this role over the second half of the movie of being the only not crazy person. But for the first few scenes of his, he is the crazy person, right? Yeah. And so... I don't know. I just have questions. I'm not even sure if that's McConaughey or the writing, but the, all of those elements make it hard for me to fully place him in the in, in like the victory column for this one, right? I, I think it's a little messy for that specific character slash actor slash performance. What, what, what do you got? What do you, what do you think of that?
1: Uh, I do think he's the only actor in the film that you could accuse of being in a different movie. Of like you're you're acting yeah, that's e- everyone what I mean. else yeah. is in a different movie. I think at times he is a palate cleanser in a good way. So at times Assault. that's actually it's actually a good thing for me. Um and mind you, I've only seen this movie once. So I, I might go back through and be like, oh, he's actually quite garish and like doesn't fit at all. But this is just my immediate impression. I do think that on there there is an interesting reading of his character in terms of that move towards more of a straight man persona when he's more introduces more of a clown in the beginning, that is kind of a, a person in this town who is sane, kind of reckoning with like the fruit of what he has not taken very seriously up until now, which is kind of like his That's job a point. Yeah. In which it's like, you're actually kind of watching him go on an arc in which he's just like, it's all fun and games until like no one actually is listening to him. The DA as he's like trying to be like, Guys, someone got murdered, right? Yeah, Um, and he's. I love when they say. I I
0: love. We we already referenced the scene, but it's so funny when he's in the diner, getting all of the townspeople around him, and one of them says he doesn't hold up well under interrogation, and he says he wasn't interrogated. He walked in, sat down, and confessed. And I think that's what you're describing. Is that's the moment that the character is like, "Wait a second, what world am I living in here?
1: What's going on?" And, yeah. and so there's a, and I'm not sure it's intentional reading. I'm just saying there could be one. I think there's also something interesting to say about the character, which is that he's probably the only one with stakes in this movie outside of Bernie and, and obviously the victim. And what I mean by that is like, you have to assume that as an elected official who is making a decision that the whole town finds very unpopular, that this isn't good for his political career. Like he's the only one who probably like loses by going after Bernie and basically doing his job. Um, And I think that's interesting kind of to reflect on, too, as it like as his character shifts in tone over the course of the film,
0: which is not like enough. I see that as something of a miss because it's something I've always been curious about, but I'm not sure why the movie doesn't go into. In fact, the movie even feels like it's setting it up because when we introduce the character, some of the townspeople even mention like, you know, election is a huge part of right is a huge part of the nature of being a DA in a small town. And yet, in my opinion, the movie doesn't explore in any way the ram- the his ramifications for doing something that is clearly unpopular. And yeah. he doesn't even seem conflicted about that nature of it, right? Um, I mean, so in a does, sense, I, does... I, I, while I agree that's an interesting side of the character, I feel like you've brought that to the movie. And the movie, Maybe. oddly, is kind of silent on the point. Maybe.
1: Maybe. And I mean, I do yeah. think he is conflicted at least because he's he's the definition of I'm taking crazy pills here. Um, but, <laughs> but no. So I guess to close, I, I think I take your point stance. It's a very good point. I think he belongs in both categories. He is definitively Matthew McConaughey in this movie. That is definitively distracting.
0: Right. Yeah, I think. And, and it, as you say, you, you made me think of something where it's like that really can be or could be one of those things that is much more pronounced the third, fourth or fifth time seeing the movie. Yeah. Right.
1: Well, and I, and I will say this, cause this blends into what is one of my, this didn't work as well as I wanted it to, um, that is related to maybe a different taste. Cause like I brought him up as a palate cleanser. And I think one of the things that does not work super well in this movie is any sense of momentum. Um, this movie mm because of another thing also that I will bring up in a second of what didn't work for me in this movie. This movie is very episodic. It is very vignette oriented. It is very documentary in style. And there isn't really for me, a ever strong sense of movement. There's never really Mm. like a pace to this movie. It just kind of meanders along. Um, I remember when I was first watching it being like, they are spending a lot of time setting up how good Bernie is. Now, obviously that's a good choice but I felt the length of that. So it's like both good for sure. the storytelling and something about how they were telling these different parts of his character and why he's so loved felt incredibly meandering in a lot of ways. So I do My think only, uh, I, he, I agree he, with he, the, well, real quick, real quick. Yeah. The boy. He is a shot of energy in a lot of those moments because he is still yeah. Matthew McConaughey and he shows up and he's got a pep to his step and an energy and an excitement for a, p- a lot of people who just like are not bringing that kind of energy to the film. And I like that the yep. first time saying it. So that's it.
0: I just wanted to know, I actually agree with your comment about the pace, but I don't think it's a problem because, and it's weird. We haven't mentioned this yet. It's such a short movie. It's an hour and a half. And yeah. I think that like, b- b- but you're totally right in terms of like that, that should be a problem. And the movie very expertly avoids it by just being short enough that you don't have time to realize how slow it's moving. Yeah. Um but you're right. It is very hard to find. I think I would actually argue when you watch the movie, you're not even sure what you're latching on to until the murder. 100%. And even yeah. then, once the murder happens, it still kind of takes its time with yeah, with what Bertie's doing. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. still very episodic. And so it is a very difficult thing to grab onto but again i think it's it's the salvation is it's so short so it yeah. does, in a sense it doesn't matter but uh but your point is well taken having said that
1: yeah and i got i got one last one and this is entirely trivial and this is entirely <laughs> grounded in taste uh but title cards don't work for me like the title card of who is bernie is bernie gay it, it just always feels gimmicky oh, yeah. and it always feels really lazy and it felt that way for me in this one too uh and that's just like uh, pretty much across the board like everything everywhere all at once is probably the only movie that's ever done that in a way that i thought was compelling um beyond that it just feels kind of uh like a gimmick and i'm not into it so i uh,
0: you know what i in a sense i don't have a thought but i think that's pretty damning because i don't even i didn't even think about those for any category, which is actually yeah. kind of a problem if it's such a flashy part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Do you know? I this sentence doesn't. I, I can't think of evidence to support this, but I want to say it's like weirdly dated. Yeah. I mean.
1: Yeah. It feels it's, that it's, way. It,
0: it puts me in mind of two of early two thousands f- or early twenty tens filmmaking, but I can't point to a specific reference to explain that. It just feels like of the era that that is maybe we've moved on from it a tiny bit. Um, yeah, but I agree. The,
1: yeah, and there's a weird part of it too, which is like built into the structure of this movie is an interview, an interviewee, an interviewer, interviewee, and it kind of just left me wondering like why they just to have someone like ask that question, like why that's not just included in like one of those interviews, right? Because they have one sure. of the townspeople answer the question. So like, isn't that more true to form of like this documentary format to actually have like the, the soundbite of the person being like, so was Bernie gay, right? If that's what you're doing, it just felt really strange. It didn't just feel, it didn't feel like it fit. It's the only part of this that didn't feel like it fit any of the vision of what he was trying to do. It just felt really out of place. What was the other, there's
0: only a few of them. What was the other one was asking about like their relation, like, like. Yeah, was Mark it romantic or, or whatever? Yeah, was um, it romantic or something like that? Yeah, yeah.
1: So, and it's not a huge thing. Like I said, very small part of the movie. Largely, can I on a slight, but.
0: a slight counterpoint that I, I don't know. I, I agree with you ultimately that I don't think it's successful, but the counterpoint is just what I think it's trying to do. I think part of the point is that it's, it's, jarringly putting up the questions that you are secretly wondering at that point sure. in the movie. Right. That you're yeah. saying they're thinking like, wait a second, are they like romantically involved And the movie's Just like, were they romantic? You know, it's just like, yeah. bam, here you go. You're thinking at some point, like, huh, ah, he seems very effeminate. He seems, you know, and some part of your brain is just maybe thinking about that. So that's my only kind of, I think yeah. that's maybe what it was going for, but it, I, I agree with you. I don't think it adds anything. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's fair. Uh, All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, come back with some stray thoughts, and then a bit of dialogue diving deeper into one element of the movie. everybody welcome back in this part of the podcast mike and i have each developed a few stray thoughts either in the research of the movie or while watching it uh we just kind of go back and forth just rapid fire you ready mike i'm ready uh several of these are questions actually yeah mike how does your funeral service compare to bernie's and more critically could you jump in with amazing grace if needed i'm I want you to know I'm judging you. This is a, I I am harshly judging your abilities as a pastor, as a funeral director, as a human being. Honestly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say primarily, uh, mine have a lot more pyrotechnics, a lot, a lot more strobe light. I like to bring funerals into the the 21st century, John, because I'm a modern man with modern principles. So yeah, that's the primary way. I'm gonna let you sort out what that
0: means. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'll be thinking about it the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, yeah. As for singing Amazing Grace, uh, yeah, I got a lot of auto tune on my computer, so I could. Okay, I can go. I'm ready. Anytime. I'm gonna guess
0: it wouldn't. It wouldn't hit quite the same way. But, uh, tomato, you know.
1: tomato, tomato, tomato. Win in Rome.
0: Okay, you know, more more power to you. I can't. I can't disagree.
1: Yep, I got you there. So, <laughs> all I wrote for my first one is God. I hate the South. That's it. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> this Do is a, you know, this is a stray oh, thought ahead. section. And that was legitimately a stray thought. I had nine times watching this movie. So it had to go in.
0: This is how I know that like living in a place has a profound effect because I'm pretty sure five years ago, that would have been on my stray thoughts, but being away for so long, I, I just didn't even occur to me. I'm just like, Oh yeah, no problem yeah What a great what a great what a lovely little town mike
1: you're, you're not having people point out that bible characters are gay to you on a daily yep. basis anymore Don't so. have to,
0: excuse me or pointedly pointing out that they're not gay a, yeah yeah so please please get it right mike my bad um you know on a similar vein have you ever had money denied to the church because you wore bermuda shorts on your day off is that Ooh. is that an experience that you've you've Taken I feel, place in or i
1: feel like i have had explicitly tithes given to the church because someone saw me in Bermuda shorts on my day off
0: that's that how, says a lot that's, that's how <laughs> i'm a hot
1: pastor john that's what they say that's what they say man the old can't do ladies anything about that sentence, love me. it's just no we actually do have just, a bit for a long time rick my wife and i that like my biggest fans were like 60 to 75 year old white women who just like mm. loved my sermons? It was so funny. I don't even know why. It was just like my demographic there for a moment. I mean, I,
0: I guess we all know why now. You've just you've just elucidated. Well, you good saw you saw the movie you, Bernie, so now you get it. So I was going to say you and Bernie have a lot in common. I guess so. Uh, good to know. Good to know. Speaking
1: of John, I actually want to do. Uh, I'm going to jump right into mine. Uh, speaking of having a lot in common with Bernie, you are a type nine on the enneagram. Is this movie
0: about you? I, I don't agree with the assessment of the character of Birdie, but now that you say it, <laughs> what's particularly damning is the woman who says of Birdie, Birdie was so nice and so caring, but sometimes you just have to be able to tell someone to piss off. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I think that element is, is that 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 hits a type nine pretty deep. Yeah. It's just like, oof, you know, it's it's tough. I'm, it's I,
1: tough. I like see in my, my third eye, my mind's eye, I see a future in which you stayed in Tallahassee and you just shoot me one day, John. You just murdered me <laughs> and stuffed me in a freezer and felt really bad about that, it.
0: That you've, you've characterized yourself as the, as Marjorie Nugent. Yeah. And we're just not going to explore that. I'm just going to, we're just going to roll past that. But, you're,
1: one. but you don't think I'm
0: wrong. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> um, I almost put this in what holds the movie back but I decided it was more fun than actually a problem but there's lots of anachronisms in the movie and one of them is really staggering and it's weird to think I didn't notice it until I was I was on IMDB and it's up there and I'm like oh my god but Mike did you realize that it didn't even it, I almost didn't even see it after Bert, Bernie murders Marjorie he gets a call on an iPhone in a movie taking place in the '90s. Oh, isn't that weird that it just slips by you? You don't even think Uh about it, and then like I read that, and I I just I kind of did a double take. I had to go back and watch that scene again, and I was like, "Yeah, that's just an iPhone." And this movie is in 1996, which I guess that's how they get away with it. It's never really explicit when it's happening. Yeah, but also it is definitely said at that time and actually the vehicle's kind of give it away but it's just weird there there's lots of anachronisms in the movie but that one is so jarring in hindsight that is like it's just very odd very odd yeah that's strange i didn't even think yeah. about that
1: that's super strange yeah it's weird huh um well okay there you go i think <laughs> the best thing that i can say about the opening sequence of this movie is that it was very helpful and informative. I feel like I could hmm. embalm a body. And that's that's a testament to this movie's strength and commitment to research. So there you go.
0: It made me think about embalming more than I've ever thought about before. I yeah. that.
1: Didn't like that.
0: Uh <laughs> this might be I'm you're you can tell me this is too personal of a question, but what uh, what are you what are you aiming for Mike? are you aiming for burial or embalmment or like or sorry or uh, cremation or what's your what's your speed?
1: I am a big fan of killing Mother Earth. so pump me full of things that will never dissolve in the natural order of our planet. There we go. and then bury me deep in the ground so I stay there for no. Um, I am I am obviously big into environmentalism <laughs> so I think that t- lends itself to cremation. There are increasingly, like, other avenues for, like, non-embalmed kind of burials in which you, like – I mean, there's, like, something I heard on, like, NPR where they put, like, a shroud of mushrooms on you, and it basically, like, eats your body. Yeah,
0: I've seen that. Yeah, yeah so yeah. so there are ways stuff. to
1: be buried. Um, but generally that's speaking – what they do in Avatar. Oh, my God.
0: Well, that's just true. That is just true. That is literally depicted in the movie. Is, I know that you're be- gonna- is
1: that before or after they have sex with animals with their ponytails?
0: i don't think i feel like you've mischaracterized that okay scene, anyway we'll just we'll just cremation i would like to be cremated do you know we didn't mention it earlier but it's also a great uh black comedy scene of what does he say it this one doesn't come with our warranty yeah uh talking about the coffee the widow says or, or the wife says what's the warranty mean he's like well well, we make we guarantee that you'll be your your remains will be free of pests or other. Oh my god! And of god. course, your brain is thinking, how could they possibly enforce the warranty? But what I, it, it doesn't make sense. But that's the joke, right? Well, it's kind of um, like when he convinces her to buy
1: it by being like, "Yeah, we're gonna have to break his legs to get him in here," and you're like, "Jesus."
0: I also love the the detail that the nice coffin is called the Corinthian. Yeah, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, it's incredible. It's Unbelievable. incredible. So good. Um, I don't know what this says about me, but the idea of reading aloud the Reader's Digest sounds like my deepest circle of hell. <laughs> I just wanted, to, uh, I just something about that scene. You know, that scene is when I am sold on the plight of Bernie. It's when I drink the Kool Aid, Mike. Where I'm like, you know what? Maybe this was okay. Yeah. Maybe this. Maybe this is not a bad person. When he's maybe, having to go maybe through. Maybe murder and, is justified. Maybe murder. Maybe murder's justified. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm just asking questions, Mike. Would you do that? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> yeah, see? See? It's basically an admission of guilt. Okay, what, what do you got?
1: <laughs> uh, her, her nose was so high, she drowned in a rainstorm. Just a <laughs> a great, great line that I'm going to start using immediately.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's There's a few of those, but that one really does. That one sticks with you. Um, a little bit of real world, real life information. Um, this is actually, I guess this was two separate things, but I'm going to make it into one real quick. Cause one, they're both really small. The first is the funeral home actually did not allow the use of their name. It was, it's, it's called something else like Howard family funeral or something. Um, yeah. Didn't want to be associated with it, which you're like, you know what? I get that one that that, I'm 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 that's fair Um, the other thing though which is actually should really be its own whole point but Mike do you know at all what happened after this movie in the life of Bernie Teed? no so kind of fascinating basically because of the release of the movie a lot more attention was given back to his case Mm -hmm. and I think in particular, there's evidence that was discovered, which was that he was actually abused as a child. Oh. This was part of an entire thing that made that led to him being released on bail in 2014. Um, and while he was on bail, he actually lived with Richard Linklater in Texas. Um, however, so so that then that happened in 2014. Uh, he then had a resentencing hearing that uh basically sends himends him to ninety nine years uh or life with no possibility of parole and basically a large part of the re sentencing and everything was set around the idea that um the 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 case they presented was that the the judge and the parole officer or whoever had been misled by the film and you know, in a way that has some sort of interesting commentary on the movie itself, but I don't know enough about the case to provide it. Uh, a lot of it's centered around the idea of like the family basically claimed you only re-examined the case and let them out because of the effects of the movie, despite the fact that the evidence of the case still stands. So, uh, lots of interest, lots of interesting stuff. Unfortunately, like I said, I just genuinely don't know enough about it to really weigh in. Um, But all that to say, at the moment, everything is exactly the same as the end of the movie. There was just this weird diversion for two for two years that he lived in Texas. He just lived in Houston. So That is
1: very strange. And it it like kind of goes back to the complexity of this character. Because as much as we can do like, oh Bernie, uh, she was kind of the worst. At the same time he did stuff her in the freezer and then acted like well it's because i wanted to give her a proper burial and you're like
0: ah suspect i'm suspect and went several months just living a normal life and, yep. and spending money so, and yeah it's again, complicated so com- yeah.
1: complex character all i'd say is i would not let him out of prison but that's because i'm not on team bernie like you are you sociopath
2: anyway that, that's
0: because you're you're pro incarceration
1: you're i you, am the america you love the
0: american, <laughs> love the american <laughs> incarceration system that's right anyways
1: that's right Whose turn is it, John? Is my turn? It's your turn, yes. John, another odd overlap between you and Bernie. Um, when I watch Bernie lead worship at church, that's exactly how I remember you doing it. Honestly, between that's, that, between that and that's leading, that's a little. I'm just saying, between that and leading musical theater of children, the mm. overlaps between him or you are quite harrowing, actually.
0: I mean, we we I do want to make it clear to listeners, Mike is is. <laughs> For comedic effects, stating the opposite of reality, I just uh, want that to be uh, known. I don't know. <laughs> There's very say. few things I don't think you could characterize my on stage demeanor more perfectly or more perfectly mischaracterize it than comparing it to Birdie's on stage demeanor. But I digress. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is, I guess, my last thought. I was most excited. To, so the the most excited to discover was real for me was the old lady who very forcefully speaks uh, the truth of her opinion. She's interviewed Mike with another woman who doesn't yep. actually speak over the whole course. You know, what I'm talking another about. another
1: in- very southern thing, by the way. You're like it's an yeah. interview and there's just someone hanging out and you're like, why are you here?
0: But anyway, so on. that that woman is just incredible. Can't I can't believe she's real? Um, most disappointed to discover wasn't real the funeral home director. I kind of just called it wrong, like that guy. I guess, in a sense, it's great casting. I just really believe that was like that person, just well, felt very natural to me. And it makes sense, uh, so yeah, since was,
1: they didn't want to be associated with the film. That's probably why, yeah. So
0: that that's a yeah. that guy is in no way the real person. And uh, yeah, I was sad, disappointed. That's a bummer.
1: Um, I guess uh, that's I'll, it for me I'll do one more and that is we were talking about how this film is kind of lifted from our lives the fake accident teaching kids about drunk driving is like some oh real some real that's dare so shit so real that's such dare shit <laughs> it's so
0: <laughs> and it's so I will say that was very jarring I remember when I first saw the movie which it's supposed to be because you it, you kind of think it's real for a second it's yeah. a flush cut or it's a hard cut um and that is, yeah, if anyone's wondering, that is a very accurate portrayal of uh, life in American schools, at least in the early 2000s. I don't know about it anymore, but hopefully not anymore. But I suspect it might still be. Don't the smoke weed or you'll die. Yeah. Don't get pregnant or you'll die. Good. Timing. Yeah. Um, so that's it for Stray Thoughts. That's it. I had one more, actually. Sorry. Uh, Richard Linklater cameos in the movie. Do you know Who? Who? He is one of the deadbeat dads holding their hands to love the car. It. Absolutely. Actually, it. it's better than that. He's the one that tries to run away and gets tackled by Matthew McConaughey.
1: Even better. That's a
0: fun role to give yourself. I props Dude. to him for that.
1: Hell yeah. Um, yeah. The Real question is Spike Z in this movie. Um, <laughs> no, actually, I, I'm wait, wait, surprised wait, he's not John. I got one more for you too. Oh, okay. Since you have so much at God with Bernie, you ever thought of getting yourself a widow in New York? Ever crossed your mind? <laughs>
0: You know, I I really should. You slide like dog, dog, you. Doesn't seem that. I mean, it it seems like it works out. It, until he goes to prison, it works out great for him. So he you know? he
1: has a lot of time in an airplane, and that seems really fun
0: for him. So consider yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> moving on. To end the show, we we have just a kind of a dialogue, basically trying to dive deeper into some philosophical spiritual religious element of the movie there's a lot to pick from here um and, and several different themes that i think i'd be i'd be fascinated to, to dive into uh so you know mike i, I was kind of thinking about this movie and trying to think about what there is to dive deeper into and there's a lot to be honest we've already touched on a lot of topics but something we haven't touched on is i would say that there's a almost a hidden uh, lesson in the movie or, or hidden sort of theme of the movie, which is kind of the idea of wealth. Eat and the especially, rich. yeah, especially the nature of wealth and, and its power in a small community. And what I'm really talking about is, is so, so, you know, in the second half of the movie, we see, or maybe just the last act of the movie. One thing we see is this idea of Bernie with the wealth of Marjorie, who's deceased at that point, who's been murdered by him, using that money prodigiously around the community for a lot of, let's be honest, very silly things. The the, the was the guy say, I mentioned to Bertie that I wanted to, you know, get get a nice gift for my girls, and he buys me a full playset, like this yeah. huge amazing playground. But he also playground.
1: buys jet skis and stuff for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Right. He also funds businesses. He uh, opens a new wing to the church. He buys someone a home. He buys people cars. And what I think, you know, debate, I guess it's debatable if the movie is asking this question. But I certainly left with this interesting thing nagging at my brain, especially when you see all of the things being repossessed. Right. Once Bernie's locked up. Part of you starts to think what's fascinating is the money is still there and is not being used by anyone for anything near as worthwhile as all of this, right? And it almost starts to beg the question in your brain of you know, what good what or it's you start thinking about it in those terms of like what a tremendous waste of this wealthy person just hoarding money yeah. and just sitting there by themselves when you give it to one very selfless and you know, who knows for what reason he's selfless. The motivation is a whole question, but it's fascinating. It's a fascinating case example of thinking, well, maybe was it better for the community that the money didn't at least temporarily wasn't in the hands of this selfish person. I I don't know. It's a very fascinating question because it, I guess like ultimately my emotion was you just start feeling sad realizing that it was totally in marjorie's power to do this all the the entire time yeah from the very beginning he could have she she could have just done this she could have just been buying people houses and cars and helping them with businesses and instead chose to do the reverse and as soon as you have that thought you start realizing that's the norm though there's a lot of people who can do a lot of good who choose not to because it's you know they don't want to and that's weird. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's it's an open ended thought, but I'm curious what what thoughts you might have on that.
1: Yeah, it comes back to, I think, just and we've touched on this theme multiple times, but the, how how well this movie obscures any sort of stereotype or clarity that you want to put onto it so that you can have a very simple moral message from it like it is allergic to you doing so. Um, I, and I think it does that with the wealth conversation as much as anything else in the movie. I mean, I think the line of the movie for me is, is, and I can't remember who says it, but someone, a townsperson says, he just doesn't sound like any kind of monster that I've ever heard of. And what you're saying there is that this person is, is really wrestling with the duality of like the charitable things. And, And I think that's critical with this wealth conversation. Because that's a key part of, I think, why they think of him so fondly in hindsight. Yes, he was nice. Yes, he was very, you know, soft spoken and polite. But you can't, you cannot separate from the fact that this guy gave them a lot of free stuff and that he did a lot of charitable stuff in the community, that he was very generous with money at the end of this story, which then, as her murder gets found out, gets taken back from them. So he is very much like a Robin Hood figure in their mind which is leading them to really struggle with like, he either has to be all monster or not a monster at all. And obviously many of them, because they don't want to wrestle with the fact that he's more complicated than that. And ultimately even this act of generosity with wealth was way more complicated than that. They don't want to wrestle with that complication. So they land on something very simplistic, which leads them to quite frankly, misunderstand and misrepresent the entirety of the situation in which they are embroiled. I, And I think it's really interesting because I know there's a quote that you loved of one of the townspersons who really gets really close to touching on this. And I think you wanted to cut it into the podcast.
3: I don't care what he did. Yes, I do care. It was wrong. But I believe that if Bernie were truly sorry for what he did and would ask God's forgiveness, God would forgive him. And after all, that's all that really matters. I will miss him. All of us will.
1: And I just think that's like really telling because ultimately like what she's coming up against is this this hard truth. And it's kind of like what you're saying, which is like Marjorie is the norm and she is the kind of monster that like we do hear about and we do understand. She is greedy. She is someone who, uh, like you said, actively chooses not to help others, though she could make the lives of everyone around her that much better. She is someone who is ornery. She is someone who is mean-spirited. She is someone who all of this, she is everything that we don't want to believe a victim could do.
0: She's a racist.
1: Yeah, she's a racist, absolutely. Yeah. And we don't want to believe that she can be a victim, and yet she is. So he's obscuring the victim nature of her. And then I, there's a part of it that's just like we don't want to believe that Bernie's a monster because we don't want to believe someone that like, you know, kills the rich and gives to the poor. We don't want to think of that as monstrous when we're poor. Right. Yeah. So we need to find a way to make him not complicated so that this action can be the the brazen act of of charity that we want to remember it as. And, and ultimately, I think what this movie is trying to do with every topic but like you're kind of putting your finger on, especially with this conversation of wealth, is to just be like, no, no, no. And it wants to blur all of those lines. Victim, perpetrator. Uh, good guy, bad guy. Mean person, generous person. It, it is trying to make all of it as gray as possible for you to kind of reflect on your own biases. And ultimately how, the, how that leads you to represent these characters in your head. And then beyond that to justify what is done unto them or by them. And basically that's the litmus test of the movie. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. There is something about, especially that money component that just gets stuck in the back of our brain. And I don't know what it is, but it is the, probably the the part of it that you're right. That prickles at me the most in terms of like this movie's unwillingness to give me a clear morality
0: on either of these two central characters. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's funny Because he's such a, this gets back to what I was saying where McConaughey's Danny Buck character, there's something very confusing about him. But in in a pretty key moment that we've actually already discussed a little bit, after the, the message that the pastor delivers basically exonerating a confessed killer, there's this great moment where Danny Buck is confronting him and the line that he actually says is, I think you're choosing to remember the Bernie that gave a hundred thousand dollars to your church. Yeah, and you know the pastor says something effective. Well, I'm sorry you think that way. I don't agree. Blah blah blah. But it kind of I think by asking it, Danny Buck and Richard Linklater are placing the question in your mind too. Of like, yeah. On the one hand, he's charitable in a way that you want to reward. You want to praise him for. But on the other hand, did he just bribe them into, <laughs> into, you know, supporting him no matter what? And that's pretty insidious as well. If I, you know, if I commit a murder and hand you $100,000 and you say, hey, this person should be forgiven, that's not a good look. Yeah. That doesn't quite gel with their idea of what, what is justice. And and it's also worth noting, you know, for all the townspeople are saying are, are trying to find ways of... You know letting bernie off of his crime i i made an offhand comment earlier about incarceration in america but it is a little bit jarring to realize people are incarcerated for far less yeah. all the time yeah and i think that's a seedy underbelly of what we're witnessing here too that that there's an element of wait a second suddenly we want to go easy on this guy because he or we want to go easy on crime just because and and this is danny danny buck's righteous indignation in the film as well um just because he was nice to us just because he did things for us like that's not the way this is supposed to work um things are already broken but in the opposite direction we can't just suddenly decide that we're being overly magnanimous yeah so it asks a lot of fascinating questions i think you're right mike that the strength of the movie is in how it doesn't Necessarily answer those. It doesn't provide clear-cut answers. No, leaving no. you in the state. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, and I think that's why I keep coming back to that word of justification, because that is ultimately what you're, you're, what we're dancing around, what we're talking about, we're branching off of, is this idea of like, what is it that you find easy to justify, both something that you do or something that you witness someone else do, that you basically where do you draw that line of this is justifiable and where is it and how much of that is determined by your own bias or even more insidious than that, how much the person that you want to justify and what they've done to you fit it's uh, done for you fits into that equation. Right? So it's yeah. not only, is it already a bias marker for many of us, we will justify this person's uh, right to treat someone in this horrible way because they're nice to us or our group or all these other things. And we won't justify that behavior in anyone else that we don't know or someone that we think is, is not nice to us. There's already that bias that's just like intrinsic to the human condition. But then on top of that, you throw in this issue of, but also how much further do we move that line of justification when they start being, when it starts being involving a person who is an active benefit and value add to our lives, much less, I th- and I think what the movie's trying to get you to recognize is the single greater move of that line is someone who benefits your wealth or your well-being or your financial stability and how quickly when greed mixes to that patient, does that, does that movement of that line get completely out of whack and yet you're totally oblivious to the fact that you've moved it at all. And I think that's, that's the question that's asking all of us to think about is like, basically who, who do you make that leeway for in really insidious ways and why but then like you're saying on a more on a larger scale like where are you buying into a system that also just makes it the norm to move that line for the nature of power and money as just like the order of business of the day and what does that say about you know the victims and the perpetrators of our world
0: Hey, guys. Thanks, as always, for listening. Mike, do you realize we've exceeded the film's running time by several minutes here? Ah,
1: we did it I again. We we do that.
0: Uh, At least we're we just want to know for the next episode, we do actually have a final question for each other. Before that, on next episode, we're going to be discussing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Woo! The 2018
2: Spider-Man. animated. Spider-Man. This
1: is.
0: Spider-Man. What? I'm just going to let it play out. Okay, here you go. This is our
1: ever first... a Spider-Man can.
0: Is this our first anime movie? I can't quite That's not remember. True. Inside Out. Oh, it's not. Inside Out. This is our second anime movie. <laughs> uh it's an incredible movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. You already know. Final question. Mike and I have each prepared a final question for each other. Mike, based we I already put it into the episode. I might just bring it back here very briefly uh based solely off of the old guy in the diners uh r- kind of what well, man what would i call it explanation of the regions of texas based solely off of that like description what part of texas do you want to live in in would you want to live in i would to li- remind you the carcinogenic coast <laughs> in the south where the tex meets the mechs as in the food uh the the austin character, he he really just dives in yeah, behind think, the pine curtain in carthage
1: i think in general uh judging off of what i glean from his character i'm going to go sure. with any place that he has the most acidic names for so um,
0: well that's the people's republic of austin i think that's is, it nailed it pretty that's high where wanna the the yeah. that's where i want to live
1: that's where i want to live because if he doesn't like it that's where i
0: want to be Tough poll for that guy, but I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I actually would push back on that because he's got a lot of distaste for Houston, which I, I'm i going to go ahead and say you also would have a lot of distaste for. That's fair. So I, I don't think it's quite one-to-one. He doesn't like it you're in. Even the but... worst
1: people on earth I can find some common ground with. That's fair.
0: <laughs> brutal. Brutal takes. But yeah. again, not going to disagree with you. So we're moving to Austin is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. How about you? Where you going? You big cartoon? Uh, you just, like, you just like, like what you saw?
0: But yeah, I was really... Un- you know what? When we saw the Country Music Hall of Fame, uh, that's when I knew I was in. I've
1: always said you're a big country singing guy.
0: Big country and Western. Would you yeah, not? From way Bernie
1: back. Bernie in church services singing. We didn't
0: talk about it, but hymns. also great introduction to the character Uh after the actual introduction, but him singing... Almost the entire song of The Lord Lifted Me. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. great. And great Jack Black moment, too. Anyways. Um, this is... <laughs> I don't have an answer for this.
1: Actually, I do. The answer to this is going to be... Well, I'll ask the question and tell you what immediately came to my mind and was thus off the table. John, what is the shittiest profession to run a con out of? Now... My immediate Mm. thought was big a pastor, (laughs) and you can't say that.
0: Mike? Too easy. That's tough. Yeah, Too easy. So we're
1: not doing that. Don't know about that that one, Chief. But the idea of, like, a funeral, like, taking the reading that he is actually kind of like a con man really Mm. was just like, dang, big a funeral home director is a pretty awful thing to run a con out of. So I'm just curious. Like, what, what, what comes to your mind?
0: It's tough to top funeral director... I mean and it's it's just a sign of the times that everything I think of I'm just like you know what though there's a lot of examples of because I was going to say yeah. something charity adjacent something government work adjacent but as I say all of this I'm just like man the president <laughs> of the United States <laughs> Yeah exactly it's just like ooh well uh, yikes uh because of that I'm going to I'm going to zag on you a little bit Okay okay and I'm going to say just a small town restaurant owner because it's the hmm. one that it's there's no stakes involved and that's why i think it's the most it would be the most like it's just like what are we doing here yeah. you know yeah like like anything else you think oh i i guess you know it sucks but but part of me kind of gets it but if you're just like a diner owner it's just like it's just like what are we doing you know like like and i don't even know how a con is involved but if you're trying to pull something, it's like, come on, man. Come on. Tom's Diner, we 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 need this from you. Yeah, I feel like the answer might – I think you're on to something, though, because I think it might
1: be like a small town – basically any establishment in a small town that is the only place to get anything of it, like a specific yeah. thing where you just have the like this store. unlimited power that right. if you're the worst kind of person, you could just expose. Like imagine if you run the only pharmacy in a small town. And you're just a demon. Like, that would be awful. Yeah, it's not good. Sorry. Sorry, old lady Marjorie. Your medicine didn't come in again this month. It's like, you could be a a monster. So, yeah, I don't know.
0: Man, so now this is just a really great, like, sort of life plan that we've really laid out here for me. Yeah. I I just need to buy a diner somewhere and just start hustling people. This is a great idea. Yeah, there's this town, Carthage, Texas. Move there. Uh. (laughs) Uh, Mike, any closing thoughts on Birdie? I actually have one, which is we never mentioned that the hairdresser, who is the real person, for some reason most affected me by being the only person genuinely hurt by Marjorie's absence. Yeah. In a way that felt profound. And it just, I just want to shout out that guy because uh like the genuine pain with which he says we had i had a close relationship i felt that that you have sometimes and i just knew something was wrong that i the idea of being cast off so flippantly didn't sit right with me and you're like you know what i buy that yeah i buy your position uh and also you're the only person in this whole stupid movie to present any level of sadness about this situation so shout out to that guy i guess is what i'm saying yeah I mean heck yeah. Any other closing thoughts? Uh,
1: no. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, that was just good podcasting. Yeah, I think I think this movie's really good. I I, I yeah. uh, really enjoyed it. I'm trying to think of where it fits in his filmography. That's a conversation for a different pod. But I, I think here's my final thought. This is a highly ambitious movie that I think nails it more often than it misses. And given the danger that this film could have been in at being an abject disaster, both the sensitivity of the subject and the really insane way that they went about making it, I think that's just
0: high praise. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Bernie, highly recommended. And I guess that covers it. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, I'm Jonathan Devine, joined by Mike Overstreet. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye.